Well, hey guys, I want to welcome you to week six of our study of the book of Jonah. We're in the second to last week of our summer series. We're really excited. The, the book of Jonah, studying it has been amazing. It's been real. It's gone really well. Uh, and, and the Lord has just continued to reveal to us just so much through, through this small book. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10 today. I'm going to read those um, before we get started. So you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us first. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for just bringing us here uh, just to hear, hear your word. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word today, God, that you would continue to reveal to us and show us your compassion, your mercy, your grace uh, in this book. And Lord, I pray that that would, that would convict us and that would, that would change us, Lord, and we would uh, want to share that compassion and, and, and that grace and that mercy with others. Lord, be with us today in our discussion over over. Uh, chapter 3 of Jonah, and God, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through this book. Lord, I pray that the, the words that I speak today, they would be yours and yours alone, and anything that comes from my mouth would just be quickly forgotten. So Lord, be with us as we as we jump into your into your word, into, into the book of Jonah today. It's your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're going to be in cha- chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to go ahead and read those for us. So picking up in verse 6, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. If you remember, we're we're picking up right where Ken left off. Last week, Jonah, he's given this this, this call to go back to Nineveh, he's vomited out. We, we focused on the word vomited pretty intensely. He's vomited out onto dry land, and he's told to go to Nineveh again. He's called, told to go to Nineveh a second time. And so he goes, and we, we start to think, okay, maybe he's learned his lesson, or as we'll see, he kind of goes reluctantly, and so we, we see that it's, his intentions are a little off. But he goes to Nineveh to preach repentance. If you remember, Ken spent a little bit of time focusing on chapters 1 and chapters 3. At the beginning of both of those chapters, Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. Now, in the first chapter, he, he's told to go, but then he flees the presence of the Lord. And then the, the third chapter, he's told to go. And now he goes to Nineveh, but he does so reluctantly. But nonetheless, he goes to Nineveh and he preaches repentance. And similar to the pagan Gentiles on the ship that he was just thrown off of, the Ninevites respond to this call of the Lord to repent. They, they hear what Jonah says, and the whole city repents. We see this really, really quickly in, in their actions. We'll see today, as we read, that the king calls for a fast. He tells everybody to put on sackcloth, and he, does, he says to do this from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low, the greatest person in all of Nineveh to the lowest person in all of Nineveh. They, they put on sackcloth, they sit in ashes, and to us this seems kind of like an odd, an odd thing to do, but if you really look over the Old Testament, you'll see that this is a common response 
to repentance. It's a common sign of a repentant person. It's, it's someone who, who is repenting. And I want to I wanna give you guys some examples. So in 1 King 21, we see the prophet Elijah denounce King Ahab. King Ahab, he's the, he's the king of Israel, and he does, he does something that's evil in the sight of the Lord. He does something that's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and so when he realizes this, when Elijah calls him out on it, King Ahab repents. But when he repents, he does so by putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. So this is something we see uh, King Ahab do of Israel. Another example is Joel. He, he, the prophet Joel gives uh, constant warnings to the people of Israel to, to repent. And we see that here. He, he demands the, the hearer of his, his, his words, his, his repentant message from the Lord. He says that they need to wear sackcloth and fast as a sign of repentance. Another example, and this is the last one I'll give you guys, is it's Daniel. Daniel is, is praying for his people. He's praying for Israel and praying that they would repent and they would return to the Lord. And in his prayer, as he's seeking the Lord in this prayer, he's wearing sackcloth and he's wearing ashes and he's doing this as a sign of repentance and he's also wanting his people to repent. So what's amazing about this is we see the whole, the whole city of Nineveh repent. Jonah comes in and with just a few words, the whole city repents. He says in over 40 or in 40 days, the Lord's going to overthrow you. God's going to overthrow you. But it just takes one day and the whole city repents. And then it goes from the city, just the people in the city of Nineveh, all the way to the king. So all the way to the king of Nineveh and he repents and it reaches him. So look at verse six of chapter three. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, what's important about this is we see all throughout the book of Jonah that the Gentiles have quickly responded in repentance to God. We saw this at the beginning of the book when Jonah is in the presence of the Gentiles on the boat. He, he says, hey, the storm is my fault. Throw me overboard. They don't want to, but they inevitably do after all the lots are cast on Jonah. They throw him overboard and the storm stops. And immediately these Gentiles on the boat respond in repentance and in, in, in worship of the Lord. It says that they, they, uh, they make sacrifices and vows towards God. We see it today, or we've seen it in chapter 3. The city of Nineveh, these godless people respond to these calls of repentance. And it's the opposite reaction of what Israel is supposed to be doing. You see, this is a role reversal. If you'll remember, the, a few weeks ago when I taught, I talked about how Jonah was a microcosm example of a macro problem. Now, what I didn't tell you guys at the time was I got my undergrad in economics. And so using terms like microeconomics, macroeconomics, I use those often. And so you'll probably hear me use those a lot more today as we move forward. I definitely used it a lot a few weeks ago. But I want to remind you guys that Jonah is a microcosm example of a macro problem going on in Israel. So the decisions that Jonah makes, the things that he says, what he does, his actions, are all representative of something that's much larger of a problem in the nation of Israel. So what we see is this role reversal. Israel should be listening. They should be repenting. They should be following God, yet they refuse to do this. So instead, 
God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah preaches repentance. The Ninevites fully repent in one day. And now they're acting as a stand-in for the nation of Israel. You see, Israel was supposed to be uh, repenting, listening, following the Lord, and they weren't. So God goes and redeems the city of Nineveh, these Gentiles, and now they are acting as a stand-in for Israel. You see, most of the prophets of the Old Testament call on the nation of Israel to repent. I feel like we've talked about this every week, but the Israelites were warned by the prophets to repent over and over and over again and go back to the Lord. I want to give you guys some specific examples. I'm going to, about to quote a few verses from the book of Amos. Just a preface here, Amos was a contemporary of Jonah. Today I'll talk about Amos and Hosea, and both of them were prophets in Israel at the same time of Jonah. And so when I read these verses about how Amos is calling them to seek the Lord again, the nation of Israel, I want you to keep in mind how Jonah's been reacting and how the things that Jonah has been saying and how he's been um, reluctantly going to Nineveh. So in Amos chapter 5, God speaking through Amos says, Seek me and live. A few verses later, he says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And then the very next verse in chapter 5 of the book of Amos says, Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious. So you see Amos just constantly calling the people of Israel. And guys, this is in one chapter. Just one chapter, this prophet of Israel is saying, or this prophet of God is saying to Israel, return to the Lord. You're doing wicked things. You are, you're seeking evil. You need to seek good and you need to repent. So as we've established over the previous few weeks, these warnings weren't listened to. And oftentimes, the same mistakes that Israel made now were repeated. They, they I, a few weeks ago, kind of described it as a roller coaster. You know, Israel would follow God for a little while, and then it would all go downhill. And then they'd follow God for a little while again, and then it would all go downhill. And we just saw this cycle repeating itself. They constantly were turning their backs on the Lord. And ultimately what happens is this, this kind of, this brings a massive warning to the nation of Israel. Speaking through Amos, God says in chapter 6 of the book, Behold, I will rise, uh, raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. So we see that God is saying, Israel, return to me, repent. And he, he's constantly telling them to repent and return to him. And that's what God wants. That's what God yearns. But we see that they are constantly turning their backs against the Lord, turning their backs to God. And God says, in judgment, I will raise up against you a nation. And we will ultimately see both the northern and southern kingdoms taken captive, taken away from the nation of Israel. A nation was risen up against them. And, and that's what we see in Amos chapter 6. We see that warning. But what does all this have to do with Jonah and Nineveh and our story today? Well, if, if you remember, back in chapter 1, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. We've established this. We've talked about this already. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. But the reason is because Nineveh's evil, it says their evil has come up before God. We spent the last couple of weeks really talking to you about the atrocities of the people of Nineveh. I mean, they did some, some terrible things 
go back and watch last week's lesson. Ken actually went into detail on some of the things that they did. And honestly, I, <laughs> I had to hear that message five or six times. And each time, it just made my stomach curl. Some of the things that the Ninevites did were just terrible. But we need to ask ourselves, was this evil that the Ninevites were doing any worse than what Jonah and Israel had done? They had completely rejected God. They had completely fallen away from the Lord and didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And so is the evil that the Ninevites have done, is it really any worse than what the Israelites have done? So we need to think about it this way. God was indicting Israel by sending Jonah to Nineveh. So by sending Jonah to Nineveh, he was in ha really having the Ninevites repent. God was indicting his own chosen people. You see, we've talked about how Nineveh was a godless place. It was a horrible place. It was a scary place. Part of the reason Jonah didn't probably didn't want to go to Nineveh is because of the terrible things that he had heard that the Ninevites had done to the people who went against them. But with their amazing, really not foreseen repentance, their amazing repentance, God was revealing to Israel just how faithless and far away from him they actually were. Think about it. Through all of the centuries, for, for many centuries, God was using the prophets to call on the nation of Israel to repent. He was calling on the nation of Israel to turn back to him, and that's what he wanted them to do. But yet, they never did. They, they would follow for a little while, then fall back again. But it's, it's through just five Hebrew words and one day, these horrible people in, in the city of Nineveh completely repent and turn to the Lord. The whole city, even the king, everyone from the king down to the animals were repenting. They were, they were mourning their sin. We see just in one day this happened. And for centuries, God has been warning the Israelites to return to him and, and repent. So through five Hebrew words, God causes an entirely godless city to repent. And it shows the Israelites just how far away from him they actually are. Now here is the, the actual Hebrew phrase used. So I want to focus for just a second when I say through five Hebrew words, in Hebrew, it's just those five words right there. And once you translate it into English, it's a few more. But essentially, this phrase says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. If you remember last week, Ken spent a little bit of time on the word overthrown. And I want to re reiterate this point. Right there, the word overthrown, when Jonah hears it, his first thought is, I can't wait. I'm going to go into Nineveh. I'm going to say, hey, forty days, you're going to be overthrown. Jonah thinks God is going to destroy Nineveh. Jonah's going in there, hey, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. All right, 39 days, you're going to be destroyed. 38, and he just keeps wanting to go on and go on and go on. Yet, that's not what God meant. God took this word overthrown and he wanted it to mean turn. God was going to turn the godless Ninevites to him. They were going to repent and turn to God. You see, that, this is what God wanted them to do. This is what God meant by overthrown, and it was the opposite of what Jonah thought was going to happen. It was, and it wasn't what Jonah wanted to have happen. And so in that, we kind of see the hypocrisy of Jonah. And remember, Jonah being a micro, microcosm of a macro problem in Israel, 
what that means for us is if Jonah is a hypocrite, it means Israel as a nation, as a whole, was hypocritical. Think back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9. This is Jonah on the ship. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Remember what's happening in this moment. Jonah is on the ship. The storm is crazy. He's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. So the sailors all decide to cast lots. They cast lots to try to figure out whose fault this storm is. And every single one of them falls on Jonah. As soon as all these lots fall on Jonah, the sailors jump into rapid fire questions and start to freak out. They're like, who are you? What have you done? What's going on? Why is this happening? What, what, what's going on? Jonah responds, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What's crazy about this response is first he says, I'm a Hebrew. Then he says, I fear the Lord. So I'm a Hebrew first, then I fear the Lord. You're seeing the hypocrisy come out in Jonah. And remember, this represents Israel as a whole. So Jonah, I'm a Hebrew, Hebrew first, then I fear the Lord. What's even crazier is when he says, I fear the Lord, the word he uses there is supposed to bring upon us this idea of reverence. I reverently fear the Lord. Not a, a cowardless fear or a cowardly fear, but a reverent fear. But remember what Jonah's doing in this moment. He's on a ship trying to flee the presence of God, but yet he's saying, I fear the Lord, the God who's doing this storm, the God of the sea and the dry land, everything that's going on, this is because of the God I worship. Yet I reverently fear the Lord. You can see the hypocrisy of Jonah, which moves on to the nation of Israel as a whole. You see, they knew how to talk the talk, but they didn't know how to walk the walk. So the prophet Hosea, he sees these hollow claims from, from the nation of Israel. Remember I said Hosea was a contemporary of Jonah and Amos. Hosea was a prophet in Israel at the same time as Jonah. Hosea chapter 8 verse 2, this is God speaking to Hosea. He says, of Israel, to me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. God, we know you, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. This is what we're crying out. But then look at what Hosea notices, or what God notices in his speaking to Hosea. He says, they do not cry to me from the heart. So we're seeing these hypocritical statements. You're seeing the nation of Israel saying, God, we love you. God, we know you. We worship you. We praise you. All of these things. We believe in you. But then Hosea, or God reveals to us through Hosea that they're not crying out to the Lord from the heart. They're, they're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. You see, Israel had a habit of this. They would make a habit of turning their backs on God and refusing to worship Him, refusing to worship Yahweh. In fact, Hosea, the prophet that we just read, reveals to us some really indicting words. Look at what the Israelites say. And this proves this point of them constantly turning their backs on the Lord. In Hosea 10, the Israelites say, We have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? Can you imagine the chosen people of God, God's own people saying, We don't need you. We don't fear the Lord. We don't worship the Lord. We don't need God. They are completely and wholly rejecting the Lord. They're saying, For we do not fear the Lord. 
That's a terrifying statement, but it reveals to us the hypocrisy and just how far the nation of Israel has gone from the Lord. So take that response and compare it to the response of the Ninevites. Upon hearing this cry of repentance from Jonah, even though Jonah did it reluctantly, upon hearing this, this, this cry to repent and to turn to the Lord, the whole city responds, and then the king issues this decree. In chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, it says, And he, the king, issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You see, this is the complete opposite reaction of Israel. The king is saying, we are going to do whatever we possibly can to to try to show our repentance and to cleanse ourselves from our sins. We want to completely turn from our sin. This king wants every living thing within the walls of Nineveh to fast and to wear sackcloth to the point to where the people of Nineveh were expected to withhold water and food from their animals as well as themselves. We went from, from the highest of the high to the king to the lowest of the low to the animals. That is how deeply and how, how far their repentance is running. You see, the Ninevites, they realized what Israel never did, what the Israelites would never realize. They, they looked inside themselves and they realized and saw their sin nature. They saw the evil that they had done and they wanted to repent from it. They realized their sin and wanted to turn from it by whatever means necessary. They went to the farthest extent to repent of the evil that they had done, to repent of their sins. You see, they understood what it meant for the Lord, for God to destroy them if they didn't repent. They understood that they would be judged if they didn't. And guys, they had been doing this for one day. Israel's been giving these warnings for, or been getting these warnings for centuries, and yet they were still rejecting the Lord. So knowing this, the king made sure that everyone repented from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. From the king all the way down to the animals, there was not a single person that wasn't repentant of their sin, which is just amazing. You see, the king sets this example when he says, along with the entire city, he sheds his kingly robes. He's the king of the city, and he takes off his kingly robe, which is a huge deal, and puts on sackcloth, and he sits in ashes. He's setting this example of humbly and willfully submitting himself before the Lord and repenting of his sins. He's he's wanting the Lord to show grace and show mercy to the Ninevites. And that's exactly what they say. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3. It says, if we do all these things, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So he's saying, look, if we, I want everybody to fast. I want everybody to wear sackcloth. I want everybody to sit in ashes. I want us all to repent. Because who knows, if we all do this from the king to the animals, who knows, God may turn and relent. God may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So just like the sea captain and the sailors before them, 
the Ninevites realize that it's only in trusting in Yahweh, it's only in trusting God and worshiping Him, believing in Him, it's only through that that they're saved. Through this repentance and through this changed life of believing and worshiping Yahweh, that they're saved. You see, their response to Jonah's preaching of repentance is really kind of reminiscent of what we see in Joel too. Joel, Joel was another prophet in the Old Testament. We've quoted him a few times over this study. But look at what he says. This is Joel chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. It says, So rend your hearts and not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. He's speaking to, to Israel. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion. Those are these characteristics of God. And he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. You see, the Ninevites, what they're doing in this, this, in this response and, and taking it to the extent to which they were, they were seeking the compassion in the mercy of God. You know, they're, they're banking on God showing patience towards them. And guys, remember, they've only been following the Lord for a day, and they're banking on His compassion, His mercy, and His patience. And you see, that's what Israel never understood. You see, the godless Ninevites repent and seek God's mercy, but the Israelites keep turning their back on God. And so look at what the result of this is. The, or the, the Ninevites repent, they're wearing sackcloth, they're, wearing, they're sitting in ashes, they're, they're doing this, they're fasting, they're the, the king all the way down to the animals. They are serious about repenting from their sin. They're trying to do whatever means necessary to repent of the sin, of the in turn from their evil and wicked ways. And look at the result. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So what's happening here? God relents, but I want us to take a second to notice something. I want us to look back at Exodus 32, and I want us to see the similarities here. Now, before I read the verse, I want to set the scene. If you remember, in Exodus 32, by that point in the book of Exodus, God has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and God has delivered them and done amazing things in the process. He brought the ten plagues on Egypt. He, he brought the Israelites through dry land in the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. God did amazing things, provided for them abundantly. So they get to the, the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on top of the mountain, and he is in the presence of God, the, the literal presence of God, and he is receiving the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, God tells, tells Moses, hey, the Israelites down at the bottom of the, the mountain, they've erected this golden calf, and they're worshiping this false god. It's something similar to the gods that were being worshipped in Egypt. God is saying, look at what they've done. They've, they've, they've put, pulled together all their gold, and they've erected this golden calf, and now they're worshiping it instead of me. And so let's look at uh, what happens in Genesis 30, or sorry, Exodus 32, verse 14. It says, God relents. It says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken, on bring, spoken of bringing on his people. In the moment where Jesus, or where God is telling Moses, Hey, the, the Israelites, they've, they've done this. They're now worshiping this false God. 
God says, hey, I'm going to bring this disaster upon them. But then Moses intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. He prays that the Lord would relent and look at what exactly what happens. It says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. It's exactly what we see in, in chapter, 10 verse, or chapter 3, verse 10. The Ninevites have repented and God doesn't, or God relents. It's what it said. It said God relents. You know, a better reading for us to, that might help us understand this verse a little more. Uh, this is chapter 3, verse 10, but this comes from the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It says, And he turned the heat, this is God, he turned the heat of his wrath from them, and he did not destroy them. And so this is huge. We see in their repentance, God relents. God God turns his wrath away from them. But it's important for us to take a moment here to remember who the book of Jonah is being read to. Who is the audience here? Who's reading this book? Who is this for? It's the Jewish people in captivity. It's the, the people who the, have been brought out of the northern and southern kingdoms. They're in captivity. They're in exile. You see, they would have recognized, these Jewish people would have recognized how the author of Jonah was really calling back to Exodus 32 in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. They would have recognized the similarities in these verses and really the quotation of it in this verse. And what he's pointing to is something that we have to remember. We have to remember this overarching theme of God's compassion that we don't deserve. You see, a lot of times this verse, chapter 3, verse 10, in some verses, in some versions, the word relent can be translated repent. So what's going to happen is we will so often hear this, this word and think, okay, I've, I've sinned and I need to repent. But when it says God repents sometimes in, in different versions of the Bible, it's this Hebrew word, nakam. In different translations of it, it really can mean a lot of different things. But some of the words that it can mean are to comfort or to have compassion. And so when it says God relents or God repents, what it's saying is God is having compassion on the Ninevites. God is having compassion on the Israelites in Exodus 32. So in Exodus 32 and in Jonah 3, God is showing compassion towards these people. In Exodus 32, he shows compassion after Moses intercedes in this undeserved compassion. In Jonah chapter 3, again, it's definitely undeserved because remember what the, the Ninevites have done. They've done just some wickedly evil things. They've, I mean, again, my stomach curled last week when I was listening to, to Ken talk about the, just the different things that they had done. So they definitely didn't deserve it. They'd done some evil things. But after their repentance, God shows them grace and mercy and shows compassion towards them. And guys, the same is still true today. Each and every day, you and I do something sinful. We do something that is sinful against the Lord. We sin against God. But each and every day, God shows us undeserved grace, mercy, and compassion. Every single day. He shows this compassion and this, this mercy to the Israelites in Exodus 32. We see it in Jonah 3. 
But again, Israel doesn't understand what's happening. And like I've said, they, they have this roller coaster relationship with the Lord where they follow him for a little while and then fall away. Follow him for a little while and then fall away. It all goes downhill. And Israel's going to continue to do this. They're going to continually follow this path where they are really defying the Lord. They continue down this path of defiance and ultimately, unfortunately, God will bring judgment upon them. We've hit on this a little bit, but both the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel are taken over. The northern kingdom is taken over by the Assyrians, which, interestingly enough, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So ultimately what happens is the the Assyrians, like we saw back in the book of Amos, I will raise a nation up against you. The Assyrians take over the northern kingdom and bring the Israelites out and they're in captivity with the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, God brings uh, the Babylonians and they bring out the southern kingdom in, in exile and captivity. So both the northern and the southern kingdom are in exile. And you know, it's interesting, they didn't heed the warnings of God. They're in captivity, they're in exile, because they didn't listen to these warnings from the prophets that God wanted them to repent, and if they didn't, this would happen. In fact, look at, this is going to come from 2 Chronicles chapter 6. This is a prayer from Solomon. Now, in this passage, specifically what's happening, Solomon is dedicating the temple. But in this prayer, look at what he says. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 6. It says, if they sin against you, speaking to God of Israel, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and you give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land for far or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity, to which they were carried captive, it's a lot of the word captive, and prayed toward their land, which which you gave their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the, the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people. Who have sinned against you. You see, Solomon uses the words captive, captivity quite a bit in, the, in that passage. We saw him use it five times, actually. And you would think that Israel, the Israelites, would hear that message. They would hear what Solomon's saying and they would listen to it. They would pick up on this of like, okay, well, if we, if we don't follow the Lord, then we might be taken captive somewhere, we might be in captivity but they don't listen to this message. So Israel is judged for their sins and then inevitably taken into captivity. Like I said, the northern and the kingdom, northern and southern kingdoms both were taken into captivity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Notice how the Ninevites or, or Gentiles are actually responding to this call of repentance, to this, this message of hope, the way the Israelites should. This, see, this is what the Israelites should be doing. And again, God is indicting Israel by redeeming the Israelites because he's showing them just how far they've actually fallen away from the Lord. You see, in this story, the Ninevites represent what Israel should have been doing all along. And guys, this is such a scathing 
indictment on Israel. Remember, they, the Ninevites have done some just evil things, wickedly evil things, and God redeems them in one day. One day. Yet Israel has centuries of these warnings and these calls to repentance, yet they still don't. It reveals how God yearns to show his compassion. Think about how often God is calling the Israelites to repent. He wants to show them his compassion, his grace, his mercy. And all they need to do is repent. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Guys, God is telling Israel that if they will just repent, He will still forgive them. He will show them compassion. He will show them mercy. He will show them grace. Guys, this entire book, this entire passage is all about God's compassion. It's all about God's grace. It's all about His compassion to Jonah, to the Ninevites, and by extension, to the Israelites. Remember, Jonah is a microcosm example of a macro problem going on in Israel. So when God is showing compassion to Jonah, by extension, he's showing compassion to the Israelites. God yearns to do this. He, he wants to do this. And you see, the exiled Israelites, the, the Israelites in captivity who are being read this story of Jonah, they see the example of the repentant Ninevites, the people who would never seem to love the Lord and follow after the Lord. They repent after one day. They would have seen this as an example to them. And remember, they're in captivity. They're exiled from their land. They're exiled from Israel. And it's because of their sin. And they're seeing, okay, if we just repent, God redeems us. God shows us mercy and compassion. You can just feel the author of the book of Jonah as he's, he's speaking this to the Israelites in captivity. He's just saying, if you guys would repent, just repent and look at what the Lord can do. Look at what the Lord did with Nineveh. Nineveh was a godless city and they repented. And in one day, the entire city was redeemed. Guys, you've gotten warning day after day, century after century to repent. Israel, repent, repent, repent. You can just feel that the author of this book of Jonah is virtually screaming this to the Israelites, saying, guys, would you just repent? God is going to show you grace. He's going to show you mercy. He's going to be compassionate because that's who he is. Yet we're going to see that they continue to fall into this pattern of turning their backs to God. They'll follow God for a little while and then they'll fall away. They'll follow God for a little while and then they'll fall away. You see, centuries later, the Israelites are going to continue to reject God and his offers of repentance, his offers of grace, his offers of mercy, his, his compassion. In fact, Jesus is going to show up on the scene and he will literally go to Israel and preach this message of repentance to the Jewish people. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Guys, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to now, the message has not changed. Repent. That's what it's saying. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we'll see, they're going to continue to refuse his offer. 
and ultimately God is going to condemn them. Look at this passage from Matthew 12. This is, again, Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders of the day. We've used this passage a few times, but it it really helps make this point. Jesus says to 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 the Jewish leaders, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, Jonah reluctantly, or not his intentions, whatever, Jonah went to Nineveh, preached repentance, and in one day, the Ninevites, every single one of them repented. They all repented of their sin and came to know the Lord. Jonah, what he's talking about is me. Jesus is saying, what Jonah is saying, that's me. I'm standing here right in front of you, preaching this same message of repentance, and you are still rejecting me. And so because of that, on the day of judgment, the Ninevites, those godless people, those people that you despise, who have done evil things, the ones that repented from their sin, they will stand in judgment of you because you are rejecting me. You see, something greater than, Jonah's just bringing the message, something greater than Jonah is here, and that is me, and you are rejecting me. So we see the Israelites constantly turning their backs on the Lord and rejecting God and His message, yet it's the Gentiles all throughout Scripture that respond to these these pleas of repentance. They respond to the forgiveness of the Lord. Look at some of these examples. This is the Roman centurion from Matthew chapter 8. What's happening in this story is he, this centurion, the Roman centurion, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I, I have one of my servants is sick. Will you, you heal him? But will you come heal him? But I know that I'm not worthy to have you heal. Like, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house and do this. And look at what Jesus says to him. He says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Remember, he's a Gentile. Look at the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. She comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, my daughter is sick. Will you please help her? Will you heal her? Will you? She gets on her knees and pleads with the Lord because she knows that he can do it. And look at what Jesus, sees, Jesus says. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. Think back to last year when we went over the book of John. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Jesus is going through Samaria and he gets in the afternoon, he's sitting by this well. And this woman walks out and walks up to the well, which is uncommon because in the middle of the day, no one was really going to to fetch water because it was so hot. And what ends up happening is they they have this conversation and Jesus reveals and, and calls out the sin in this woman, but she repents and she follows after Jesus And in fact, she goes into her town and multiple people are saved and believe in Jesus because of her testimony. Look at what it says in John chapter 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that This is indeed the Savior of the world, speaking of Jesus. So we see these examples all throughout Scripture, from the Ninevites to the Roman centurion to the Samaritan woman to the Canaanite woman, all throughout Scripture, all throughout Jesus' ministry, the Gentiles actually exhibit more faith than the Israelites. 
You see, what this is doing is it's proving God's loving kindness, His grace, His mercy, and His compassion towards us, towards those who follow after Him. And guys, I want you to think about that. We've been given this gift of compassion. Those of us who are following after the Lord, who believe uh, and have repented from our sin, we have been given this gift of compassion, this gift of grace and mercy. And I want to challenge you guys, who are you going to share that with? We've been given this gift. We can't keep it to ourselves. So with that in mind, let's jump into the questions. The first one says, In what ways do we reject the compassion of God? And do you tend to see God as an angry judge? Now, what do I mean by that? So in what ways are we like the Israelites who are constantly rejecting and turning their back on God, rejecting His compassion? Remember the, the passage from earlier where they say, we don't fear the Lord. We don't need God. So where in our lives are we rejecting the compassion of God? And do you tend to see God as an angry judge? I think so oftentimes we'll look at really at Scripture and think, okay, God isn't showing compassion. He's just judging us based on our sin, based on these things, and He's an angry judge. But I think we need to understand those words like relent and how that means showing compassion towards. So do we tend to think God is an angry judge? And where in our lives do we reject this compassion of God? Second, read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. What do these verses teach us about sharing this compassion with those around us? Guys, we've been given a gift. We've been given this gift of grace, this gift of mercy and compassion. Based on these verses, what are we supposed to do with that? What should being given that motivate us to do? Lastly, are you willing to take this gift of compassion that you've received from God and share it with others? What is keeping you from doing this? Guys, these are important questions that I want you to discuss, but something that I want you to do after you get done discussing these questions is that around your tables, I want you guys to pray about who you can share this message of compassion with. I want you guys to talk and and pray with yourselves. Ask the Lord to lay somebody on your heart that you can show compassion towards. You can show this gift of grace that you've been given that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. Who Who can you share that with? Pray that the Lord would lay somebody on your heart and give you an opportunity to share this gift of grace, this gift of mercy, this gift of God's wonderful compassion with others. Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you for bringing us together to to dive into your word and for, Lord, continually revealing your characteristics to us through the book of Jonah. God, I want to thank you for your compassion, your grace, your mercy. And Lord, you're just forgiving us of our sin. We don't deserve it, but Lord, you continually show that to us. Thank you for redeeming us. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us, an opportunity to share your your grace, your mercy, that compassion that you've shown us, the gospel message, this message of hope. I pray that you would lay people on our heart to share that message with them, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity to do that. God, be with us in our time as we discuss your word, and Lord, be in our conversations. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.